hey, good morning, church. Uh, welcome to our neighbors. Glad to be with you together this morning. We opened last week a series that's called Waiting on the World to Change. Um, and kind of the premise of it is uh, the world is so jacked up. There's so much wrong. The problems are so overwhelming um, that sometimes we take a, a posture of like, man, God's going to have to sort this out. Like, I'll just sit back and I'll do me and I'll just wait for the world to figure this stuff out because like, I don't, I don't want to get involved. Like, that's not my, pre- not my mess. Um, my mom ha- developed a habit of saying, not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> And uh, so in that sense, we kind, of, we kind of take this posture of we're just waiting on the world to change. Like when they get their act together, when they start having the right questions, then we can step in and say, oh, I know the answer. The answer has been Jesus all along. Um, but we began to question as to whether or not that is an appropriate attitude to have given the light of uh, the invitation that Jesus has extended to us that we, as we're going and whatever we find ourselves, that we make disciples of him. Um, and so if you missed that conversation, I encourage you to go back and check it out. Uh, we covered a lot of ground that I'm not going to, I don't have, I would love to, but I don't have time to preach the whole sermon again. Um, we're going to move, move on to some, uh, some new material this morning um, and dig, dig a little bit more in depth. Um, so if you would, go ahead and open a Bible. It's going to be helpful for you to read along with me this morning as we go through this. To the book of Jonah, it's a little teeny book uh, kind of, after the middle. Um, If you're using these blue Bibles that we've got in the room here, it's on page 970. And if you don't have a Bible and you'd you'd like one, then uh, just go ahead and write your name in that one and take it home with you. It can be yours. Um, But we're going to be in the book of Jonah, page 970 in these blue Bibles. And before we get going, I don't know about you, but I need the Lord's help. Uh, So it's our habit as we begin a week uh, on this Sunday to pray together the disciples' prayer. And there is, uh, there's no magic spell in this prayer. There's like not going to be uh, money falling down from heaven because we pray this. But this is, these are the attitudes that Jesus left for people who are going to follow him as they approach God. This is how he taught us to pray. So let's pray together. Um, if you uh, want to pray out loud, we've got the words here on the screen, but at least bow your hearts together with me. And let's begin our week together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If it's okay with you, I just want to jump right into the text. Um, Normally, I have like three application questions that we're going to walk away from this morning. Uh, Today, I've got five. So I'm just going to jump in and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hang in there. So Jonah, chapter one, looks like we're all kind of there. Um. Jonah chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first three verses here just as by way of introduction. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So that he paid, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So let me pause here. I don't know if you uh, if you know this, but as we're reading through some of the Hebrew scriptures, some of the, what we might call the Old Testament, when you see uh, the word Lord. Um, all in lowercase caps. So you've got here now the word of the Lord, all in lowercase caps. That's actually a sign to you that the word there is God's personal name. So in, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures, there are all kinds of gods, false gods that are mentioned, but um, God reveals himself as Yahweh. And when, and um, long, long story, but simply to say that when you see Lord in all caps, that's God, the God of Israel's personal name. Um, we're in Jonah, page 970 in these blue Bibles. Um, so the word of the Lord, a very specific uh, person came to Jonah and he said, I want you to go and arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, right at the beginning, I want to point out to you, like we call this book Jonah because a lot of stuff happens to Jonah, but from verse 1, it's clear that God is the active agent in this story. Jonah would have just kept living his life. He would have just kept having his hands in his pockets and doing his thing had not God showed up and spoken. And over and over again, every time like we enter a new section of this book, every time something happens, God, Yahweh, is the catalyst. God is the active agent. Now, I, I point that out because there's so many times where I look back in my life and in hindsight... I look back and go, oh, I think I see the fingerprints of God. I think God was working. But at the time, I was like, no, this is all me. Like, I got this under control. Like, I'm going to figure this thing out. Um, and so just to point out, like, God is the active agent in this story. God is the hero. It isn't really Jonah. Now, Jonah um, is actually a real person, okay? So other places in the Hebrew Scriptures are going to tell us that he had a hometown. It's called Gath Hefer. And I want you to be able to see like these places actually exist. So I played around with Google Earth a little bit this week. And I don't know if this is going to work, but we'll see how it goes. So we're looking at the globe. We're looking around the continent of Africa. We're going to zoom in a little bit. And you can still see Africa there. But there's a little dot right in the middle. And I'll zoom in on the dot again. And that's Gath Hefer. You can't really see that. I'm kind of disappointed. That's Gath Hefer. And that's Jonah's hometown. That's where he grew up. He's in the land of Israel. Um, and there's a, a, a mount, or there's a, a archaeological site there now that is the old city. Like these, this place still exists, um, not really occupied in the same way it was at that time. But there's that place. So he's in Gath Hefer. The word of the Lord comes to him and says, "I want you to go to Nineveh." Now, if you look all the way over, there's some rivers there. At the top of those rivers, there's another blue marker, and I'll figure out another way to do this next time I do it, so you can actually read it. Um, but that's Nineveh. So Nineveh is across the land, right? It's kind of to the north and to the east, right? Can we see where that is? Now, Nineveh was a big city. It was a great city. It was an important city in a country, a nation called Assyria. Now, we don't know anything about Assyria. We've never met an Assyrian. Um, But they had a reputation at the time of being like the absolute most ruthless um, armies that ever existed. Like they would, they would put you on a, they'd put you at the top of a sharp stick and just watch you slide down for fun. Um, and that is the like G-rated version of the things that the Assyrians would do to the armies that they conquered. Like they were a rough group of dudes. You did not want to be on the business end of an Assyrian army. 
Um, and so Jonah says, I want you, or God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, to the Assyrians, to their big city, and I want you to tell them that I'm going to destroy it. Now, in my head, I'm like, that sounds like good news. Like, that sounds like a good deal, because those, they're, they're not good people. They're not nice people. Like, it probably, it probably would, like, feel like a weight off my shoulders to get to go and tell some mean people that God's going to be mean back to them. Like, that sounds like a good idea. But what Jonah does here is he actually goes down a little bit south. Uh, so there's Gath Hefer right there. He goes down a little bit south to Joppa, which is a port city. Um, and do you notice, like, he traveled a little bit west? Like, Nineveh is in the east, but he traveled a little bit west and went to Joppa to get on a boat. But Nineveh, Nineveh was to the east across the land. And he went in a, a boat to go to Tarshish. Now, we've got Nineveh way all the way on this side of the screen. We've got, uh, there's a Greek, there's, it might be referring to a Greek island here. It's not really clear what Tarshish was here. It might be referring to a Greek island. It might actually be referring to a, a town, a port town, all the way in Spain. So like, as far, like it might, and it might even just be a term that means the farthest possible western city that he could think of. Like, here's the thing. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. He said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he says, oh, no. I'm going in exactly the opposite direction as far as I possibly can. I'm going to take, take my wallet out. I'm going to pay the fare to run away, not just to run away, but to run away from the presence of Yahweh who is speaking to me. I'm going to pay money to take a boat to absolutely be as far away from the place that God's calling me to go. Like, I don't want, no, very no. Three times in three verses that say he was going, not to Nineveh, but three times it says to Tarshish, as far away as possible. He paid money to avoid God's presence. And as far as the message to the Ninevites goes, he says, I don't want them to know God's going to burn their city down. As far as I'm concerned, the Ninevites can go to hell. It's over. Like, I don't want to be a part of this story. I'm done. Now, before we get on our high and mighty horse, we're like, oh, Jonah, don't you know? Don't you know what's coming? There's something in your future. It smells a little fishy. Like, before we get on our high horse about this, like, let's stop for a minute and think about this. How many, like, I can count on one hand, I can count with two fingers and only use half of them the times where I thought the voice of God was speaking to me. It doesn't happen often. It's not, it's not a continual thing. Like, it's not a common experience. And I tend to think as I read the scriptures, like if God would just speak to me directly, then I would be on board. Like if I didn't have to do the work of like reading the Bible and trying to figure out what all this stuff meant, like I could follow Jesus real good. If Jesus was in the room with me and he's like, hey, Mike, go talk to that person. Like I tend to think that I just listen to what Jesus told me to do. And yet here we have an example of somebody who knew who God was, who would say with every fiber of his being, I believe in the one true God and I follow the one true God. But when God shows up and speaks to him, he says, oh no, uh, no, 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 no. So would we really obey the audible voice of God? What if God's invitation for you to live like the fullest life ever is that you go to your greatest enemy? And live among them. What if God's message to you is to reconcile 
with the person who wounded you the most deeply. If God tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, by the way, I need you to go and talk to that person, like, would we really obey the audible voice of God? And as I've spent time in this text, like, I'm convinced, like, even just hearing the voice of God is not a guarantee that I'm going to be on board with where he's going. We all know there's a storm brewing. There's trouble coming. Let's read it together. Verse 4, Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord, Yahweh, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, "Uh, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So there's a storm coming, like, He's, he's running in the opposite direction, and God, like I told you, God's the active agent. God hurled a great wind on the sea, and there's a storm at sea. God will bring us nose to nose with our frailty so that we will trust his direction. God will bring us nose to nose with our frailty so that we'll trust his direction for our lives. God's love might be too great in order to let you go your own way. God's love might be too great to allow you to go your own way. He might say, no, 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 I I care about you too much to let you go the way that you're running. I can't let you do that. I'm going to prevent you from getting there. This this story is just fascinating because you've got... uh, um, the city of Joppa was like, looks like it belongs to Israel, but it actually was like a, a, a Philistine city. So like these are not people who know Yahweh. These are sailors. Um, sailors have a, a long history, a long reputation of being supersti- superstitious um, and just kind of uh, believing whatever is convenient to believe at the moment. Um, I don't have, like, that's not unfamiliar. We've all watched pirate movies, right? They're super superstitious, right? This, same thing. So they'll worship whatever it is that's going to get them out of the current jam. And they see this storm. And this storm, like, is, is, is legit serious. Like, they are concerned about what's going to happen to the ship. To such the degree, they look, okay, it is more valuable. Rather than keeping the cargo that we are literally, it's going to be our payday when we get to port, it's better for us to get rid of the cargo and live than for us to, like, go down with the ship. And, 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 and like, what good is the payday if, if we're dead? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, all right, we'll just... We'll just Cut this loss. Like, we're done. The the, the situation is dire. And they're all freaking out. They're crying out to every god that they've ever even heard of. And they are like, okay, what's going on here? Like, somebody, this has to be a judgment from God. 
And so who is it, who's responsible for this? They scour the ship. They find Jonah asleep downstairs, which, okay, like, I don't know what the heck is going on in his heart that he's like, I'm going to take a nap. Like, this seems like a good time to take a nap. Um, that's where they find him. And he's like, hey, who are you? Where do you come from? Like, what's, what's the deal? He's like, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the one who follows the one true God. Like, the God that I worship is the God who created the earth. And he created the ocean. So all of this is in his control, but I'm running in the opposite direction of where he told us to go. And they're like, you, you got on my ship? You're running from God, and you're, you're on my ship? Like, you put me in the line of fire here. Like, we, we kind of make a joke, or we'll hear people make jokes, like, if they haven't been to church in a while, like, oh, if I, go, if I were going to church, like, other people would be in danger because the, the building would get struck by lightning. Like, so, so even, like, like, people that are far from God are, like, they have some kind of, like, let me preserve you from the judgment that's coming to me. Jonah doesn't have that. He's like, I'm going the opposite direction. I don't care who goes with me. Ninevites can go to hell, and I'm, like, well, here we go. Like, I'm, I'm done. Like, don't even ask me, God. I'm not doing it. I'm not going. And, and, and the guys are like, yo, this is a problem. And they realize uh, the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But the, the sailors have a really appropriate like, respect for their situation. Like Jonah probably, this is probably the first time Jonah had been on a boat. And these guys, like they lived on the boat. And he's like, oh, it's kind of windy. This is unsettling. And they're like, we're literally getting ready to die, bro. They have an appropriate respect for their situation. But knowing the truth is not the same thing as walking worthy of the one who's called you. And and we can camp out here all day long. Knowing the truth, knowing what's right, knowing the right answer of, I follow Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea. Like Knowing that doctrinal fact, having that fact in your head, does not mean that your feet are going in the right direction. Having clear and concise and and soundproof doctrine is not a guarantee that your heart is right with the Creator that you seem to understand so well. There's doctrine without application of that doctrine is judgment from heaven. And you're like, Michael, you're so mean. Why would you say that to me? I'm on the ship with you, man. We are not separated from one another. Like, whatever, whatever happens in your life is going to affect me. No man is an island. And if we are a community of faith, like, then we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And if one member is hurting, then all of us are in pain. Like, we're in this together. So, it's interesting. These sailors have a strong impulse to cry out to God in their crisis. And Jonah keeps his mouth shut. Do we have an impulse to cry to God in our crises? Like, for me, like, I, I know what I'm supposed to say here. I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course, I pray. Like, I don't even pray as the last line of defense. Like, I'll pray right at the beginning. But are my prayers, like, centered around how can I manage the situation? Am I, am I crying to God to, like, empower me to handle the things? Or are my prayers to God, like, this is outside of my control, and you're the creator of all things, and so I submit to you, like, use me as, I, as you want me to go. Am I crying to God, or am I crying for myself? Do we have an impulse to cry out to God in crises? 
Let's read a little bit more in verse 11. Then they, the sailors, said to him, to Jonah, <laughs> uh, what shall we do to you <laughs> so that the sea may quiet down for us? <laughs> Legit question. I like it. <coughs> Excuse me. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, uh, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, to Yahweh, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So uh, Jonah uh, would rather die than go to Nineveh. He makes it pretty clear. They're like, hey, like, how do we solve this storm thing? Because like, the, the longer we try to sort this out ourselves, like, we even pulled the oars out, and we're rowing to try. Like, we put the sails down, and now we're rowing to try to get back to land. And we don't care what land it is that we hit, but as long as we get somewhere dry, like, we're good with that. And the harder they row, the harder the wind blows. And the more that they're trying to, to do what's right and not like, kill a man out of rashness, they're like, this is getting worse. Like, we have to do something. We have to appease the anger of this, this deity that we've never met before. Because clearly he means business. And Joseph, yeah, just kill me. Like, just throw me over. It'd be cool. And they're like, no, no, no. We can't do that. Like, that's, that's, that's jacked up. You, you have inherent human dignity. Like, you're, you're created in the image of your, your creator. You're made in the image of your creator. Like, we can't just kill you willy-nilly because it's storming outside. And that's That's silly. And the more they row, the more they're like, all right, this, like, this, is a, this is something divine. These are men who had lived their lives on the sea. They looked at the situation and says, this, there's no other explanation for this except it's the hand of a God. So it was a supernatural storm. They're like, all right, God, Yahweh, whoever you are, uh, let us not perish. Like, don't kill us because of this man's disobedience. But also don't hold us accountable for the blood. Like, we're going to throw this guy overboard but we don't do it out of hostility. Like we're, it seems like we're just trying to do what is going to make you happy. Don't hold us accountable for that. And they chuck him over, and immediately the storm stops. The waters are calm. The sailors have greater respect for Jonah's dignity than he has for anybody in the story. These pagans that had never heard of the God of, of the universe, that had never worshipped the one true God, and like they're like, they get it better. Jonah's not the story, the hero of this story. And they show mercy. <laughs> they try, like they put, they put the sweat equity in to try to preserve Jonah's life. They're working hard to keep him on the boat until it's clear like there's nothing else that's going to satisfy this. And then they genuinely, at the end of all of this, genuinely worship the one true God the best way they know how. Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16 is a fascinating, uh, part of a fascinating argument. But the, the, the thing goes, uh, you guys who are righteous, you guys who, who think you know the laws of God, um, if you disobey the laws, like, then that's on you. But for Gentiles, people who don't have a knowledge of God, when they do what's right, that becomes a law unto them. Like, like sometimes Gentiles stumble into honoring God accidentally by God's grace. And here we see it. 
How might our neighbors instruct us in the proper respect for God? Lest we think that we've got a corner on biblical knowledge and truth, how might our neighbors teach us? Verse 17, Jonah 1, 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord from my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I'm going to stop right there. So the sailors chuck him over. Jonah gets in the water. And God appoints a fish. He sets a fish aside to come up and swallow Jonah. And somewhere in this process, Jonah writes down or composes a song of sorts, a psalm. Um, and I find it fascinating. And I, you guys know I like music. I, could, I like to dissect songs and talk about how they, how they connect with one another. But what's interesting to me is, uh, is how he's actually quoting from other psalms that we have in the text. So in this moment of crisis... Um, his catalog of all the worship songs that he's grown, he's grown up knowing starts to come back and he begins to piece together lines of them uh, and, and puts them together. Like there's at least three psalms that he almost quotes from. There's like three or four more that seem like there's an allusion to. Um, psalm 18, Psalm 31, Psalm 116. We read from Psalm 18 this morning. And what's interesting about that is Psalm 18 is a psalm that was written by David at a time where he was being delivered from foes in a battlefield. So they're not even anywhere near the water. There's no, like, but the con and the conflict is flesh and blood. But here Jonah, as he's going through this spiritual conflict of like wrestling with God and whether or not I'm going to be obedient to God, these are the words that come to mind. I just find it fascinating that when we're put um, in hot water, uh, the things that we have already invested in us are the things that come out. It's kind of like a tea bag, right? You never know how good tea is until you put it in hot water. And you will never know your character and what you've put into yourself until you find yourself in hot water. And here, like it's fascinating, Jonah is, is like not doing the right thing. And yet when push comes to shove and he's nose to nose with his frailty, like what comes out of him are psalms. Like for real, he's not doing the right thing. I don't, you've, you've never noticed it probably, but if, as you go back through chapter one and through chapter two, every time they talk about Jonah moving, Jonah always descends in this book. Jonah is always going down. He went down to Joppa. He went down in the ship. He was down below deck when he was napping. 
And then there's no record that he went back up on deck. Like, they don't talk about that. But the next time they talk about Jonah moving, he's going down out of the ship into the water. And now he's sinking in the water and going down to the bottom of the sea. Like, every time, like, Jonah's not doing the right thing. Jonah is constantly descending. And as he descends, the words that come to mind are psalms, church songs. That's why, that's why it matters what we sing on Sunday morning. Uh, two weeks. I give it two weeks. And the most astute of you, the, the ones that like take this challenge are going to remember. You're going to remember that God brings us nose to nose with our frailty um, so that we will trust his direction. In two weeks, I think some of you might remember that. In a month, not even I will remember it. Like, and I care a lot about sermons. Like, I spend a lot of time trying to prep them and, and communicate in a way. But like the songs that we sing, I don't even have to say the words, and you guys are all there. The songs that we sing on Sunday morning are shaping us so that in moments of crisis, that's what comes out of us. Um, It's been a long, long time since we did a song for a long time called Our Song in the Night, and it's a really sad song. Like, it's not a happy song. It's about how everything goes bad. (laughs) And yet God is our song in the dark. God's our song in the night. And, and I had some people at the time like, why are we singing this song? It's like, because there's going to come a time where you're in the darkness. And you're going to need some words. And like, this might be it. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in a spot where I just go, in the darkness, God, do you hear us? In the night, are we alone? And those aren't my words. Those are words of a song. Anyway. All that to say, the songs we sing are important because that's what comes out of us when we come to a crisis. So let's think critically. What are we filling our ears with to come out of our mouth when crisis comes? What are we filling our ears with to come out of our mouths in times of trouble? It's not about like being righteous and like like making sure you're completely and wholly pure. I'm not saying like burn all of, like delete all of your secular music. Like that's not what I'm saying, but I'm asking like what are we actually putting in our ears? Because when crisis comes, either there'll be songs of praise that come to our lips or there'll be songs of cursing. And Jonah goes down. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Well, it's about time. Wasn't in the storm. And it wasn't when they were throwing him overboard. And it wasn't when he hit the water. But he gets to the bottom of the sea before he cries out for help. Stubborn. Must be a lock, Stanford. For you cast me into the deep. I thought that was the sailors. But no, he realizes, like, God is the active agent in the story. You are the one who threw me overboard, Lord into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Like, the sea is yours, and everything in it, and everything that I'm experiencing is coming from your hand. I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Like, yeah. Yeah. You, that was your whole thing. Remember, you were paying out money to try to get away from the presence of the Lord? I'm driven away from your sight. Yeah, who did that, Jonah? That was you, man. Yet... I'll look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Like I'm tangled up in the seaweed of the Mediterranean Sea at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Like I was at the gates of death. 
yet you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. (coughs) Excuse me. The closer we get to death, the more we come to the grips with our frailty. It's one thing for me as a young guy who, like, doesn't have back problems to be like, I ain't scared to die. It's another thing to have a terminal illness and not be able to take care of your normal bodily functions and have other people helping you to be able to look death in the face and say, I ain't scared. Like, the closer we get to it, like, and, and of course, like, for granted, I could get hit by a car pulling out of here today, and that could be the end of it. We don't know how much time we have, but the closer that we get and the more and more that we deal with it, like the more we come to grips with our frailty and God brings us nose to nose with our frailty so that we'll trust his direction. You know, nobody likes to go to funerals because it's the, it's the one time where we all know that we're going to have to come nose to nose with our own frailty where we acknowledge that somebody has passed on and that our day also is coming. And I don't really have a problem going there. I think that there are some helpful things that happen as we come to grips with that. And one of those things that can happen is as we come to grips with our frailty, we can trust God in the direction he's sending us, even if it makes no sense whatsoever to us. Even if it's the last thing that we would possibly want to do. And God sent a rescue. This is, like, let me flip this, because you think the fish is judgment. The fish is salvation. Jonah's at the bottom of the sea and finally remembers to pray. And God sends a fish, which is biologically impossible by any like, fish that we know that exist. God appoints a fish, creates a fish. I don't, know, I don't know where the fish comes from to save him so that he can have the time to process his thoughts and come to this prayer. And yet, and yet even at the end, Jonah still has like this disdain for the sailors. Like even as he's like reflecting on how God has saved him by God's grace alone, like he's like, yeah, those who, who pay regard to vain idols for sake. He's like flashing back to the sailors on the ship that are like praying to everything. He's like, those guys are silly. Like he doesn't know that they've all like, like had a come to Jesus moment. But he's like, even in that moment is reflecting on how like pagans and people who are far from God, like they're so lost. Like even in his like, I, I have come to grace. Like, even then, he's like, ah, <laughs> those people are just worshiping something that's silly. Like, and I, I can't. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Like, he knows the right words to say. It seems like he gets it, right? Like, oh, cool, Jonah finally had a change of heart. Note that Everything in this story so far has obeyed God's instructions, except for Jonah. The wind did exactly what God wanted it to do. The sailors saw the situation and responded appropriately. The fish, which may or may not have existed before this story and may or may not exist today, like it, it became and it did what it was supposed to do. Everything in the story follows God's instructions except for this dude. And you're like, man, like, I don't get it. Like, if you're, if you're skeptical about the whole fish thing, like, I understand. 
Um, I think if you're going to come to the scriptures, there are probably some other things to wrestle with first. But because we're here and because we're talking about it, like, let me just acknowledge, like, that's a weird story. It's a weird thing to happen. Like, how do you breathe inside a fish? Like, where does the oxygen come from? And I don't know the mechanics of how it is, and I argued last week that it actually doesn't super matter because the point of the story actually is not even the fish at all. It's chapter 4, which we'll talk about, Lord willing, next week. But, but, but Jesus, uh, Jesus talks about this story in particular. And he's, he's saying to people who are religious and not following the way that God wants them to go. He says, hey, you guys are asking for a sign. You're asking for something miraculous. You want some kind of confirmation that I'm actually from heaven. And the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Uh, what's the sign of Jonah? Like, we're going to get thrown overboard <laughs> into the Mediterranean Sea in the middle of a storm? Like, what, what's the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights? Okay. Like, cool, I get it. Perhaps, and, and again, I'm, I'm trying to piece some things together if you're skeptical. Perhaps God saved Jonah by the fish in order for him to put these thoughts together and come to a point where he actually understood. But if the sign of Jonah is pointing to Jesus' death and resurrection after three days and three nights, then it's possible that Jonah died in the fish. And it's possible that the miracle of Jonah, the resurrection of Jonah, after he's being spit out on land, like, doesn't even make it into the text. That's, Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 12, if you're interested. It, it might be. Like, it's not necessary for Jonah to have survived. Because if God can make a fish that can swallow a man whole, like, he can probably like, resurrect the guy. He's going to do it later on. <laughs> but God's heart... God's heart in all of this is to warn those who are far from him of their great danger. God proactively sends his servant to those who are not looking for him. God, God's the active agent here. Like, Jonah ain't going to go. It was not Jonah's idea. It was all God's idea. And God proactively sends a servant to those who aren't looking for him. And that message is going to lead to Repentance. And so as we have looked at Jonah, like let me draw your attention, like I said we were going to do this morning, to Jesus. It was God's idea to send Jesus to people who were not looking for him, to be rejected by them, but that that rejection was going to make a way for all people to be saved. God brings us nose to nose with our frailty so that we'll trust in his direction. So will we trust God in the face of our frailty? Will we look upon Jesus and say, I don't understand how it's all going to work out. But I know he's the only shot that I have to be right with God. And where he sends me, I'll follow. Let's pray together. Lord, there's so much here, and um, you, have wrecked, you have wrecked me with this text. For the times I want to be condescending and demeaning of Jonah, like it's out of self-preservation because I see myself. My heart, too, is stubborn. 
I also am unwilling to go to people that are difficult. And sometimes those people are in my own house. Sometimes they're on my street. Sometimes they're across the planet. But Lord, I'm unwilling. For us, God, as a church, as a congregation, as people who want to follow you together, would you shape our hearts? Would you give us your compassion? Would we not be put to shame by those who don't know you and the compassion that they're willing to show to us? But Lord, would you make us to be your ambassadors, ambassadors of your grace and your peace and your mercy? Would you do with us as you wish, as it pleases you? It's in your name we pray. Amen.